of Luke for our command of the Lord that we're going to study today in Luke chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verse 15, but I want to start in verse 1 to get the background of what's happening here in Luke chapter 12. In the meantime, when they were gathered together in a innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto the disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy. <clears throat> and so there's a great crowd here, <clears throat> both saved and lost. And these first ones, you get, first things he's going to say here, you can see he's speaking to his disciples. It says, first of all, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. And so he's saying God knows everything, nothing that's going to miss his attention. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which is spoken in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. We think that we're sneaking around, but God knows. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after have no more that they may, can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall hear, fear. Fear him which that he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. And so now he's addressing all the crowd. And then he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valued than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And so, very, very important words, very weighty words, and uh, causing people to think, hopefully. Whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. What is that all about? Well, just to put it as brief as we can, when you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, he says that sin can't be forgiven. And if we study other passages, it's to attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. And so when I'm, I'm sitting in a service, I'm not saved, and I'm being convicted, and the Spirit of God reproves the world of sin and righteousness judgment to come when I'm being convicted, and I say, that's Satan doing that. that can't, that's not God doing that. Well, if I do that, there's no possibility for me to be saved. And he says, um, And when they bring you into the synagogue and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what, ye shall answer, or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. And so he's bouncing around, talking to these disciples and including the multitude. And after he got through with all these weighty things, it says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? Now you do need to know that often people went to a rabbi, a teacher of God's word, to help in settling situations such as this of the inheritance. Jesus, of course, was known as a rabbi uh, by those who, all of them, but they, they didn't recognize him as God the Son. And so he's asking for intervention in this dispute of inheritance. And then we find our commands here, two commands. And he said unto them, take heed, there's the first command, 
And beware of covetousness, there is a second command. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Back in 1964, as a 14-year-old boy, and I know that your minds have difficulty traveling back that far, but in Oregon, particularly in Eastern Oregon, in October and November and early December, there was lots of snow that was up in the mountains. and. Uh, that was good. Everybody wants snow to be in the mountains or in the spring when the runoff, the reservoirs will be filled and there'll be plenty of water to irrigate the fields. And, and so that was all positive. But in the week of December 22nd, Chinook, Chinook winds came in and the snow began to melt and the uh, creeks and rivers filled with water from bank to bank. I remember uh, that in high school, they let us out of school to go down into the t city of Fossil, which is only 600 people. There's a Butte Creek ran through Fossil. And there were some homes that were being threatened because of some debris damming up the creek and they let us out to go. I think now about that's probably the most foolish thing they could do to let a teenage boy out to try to pull debris out of a creek when it was flooding. But we did and um, it relieved some of the pressure on particularly a, a, a older widow lady's home. But, but it was a tremendous storm across all of Oregon, and Governor Mark Hatfield declared a disaster area for all of Oregon. Down on the Columbia River, Interstate 80, which is known as 84 today, ran up the Columbia River going towards Idaho. And the different rivers from central Oregon flowed into the Columbia and one of them was the John Day River. And the John Day River bridge on the Interstate 84 washed out during that flood. And one man instantly died because he was traveling over the bridge when it washed out. Immediately those behind blocked the road and then the DOT came and they put barricade after barricade up on the road to tell people that the bridge had been washed out. Well, coming down from Pendleton area, coming from Idaho direction, two people in a car were traveling on I-84, and they came to the barricade, and they ignored it. They came to another one, and they ignored it. They kept going, and they went off the end of the bridge out into eternity, all, both of them dying instantly as their car hit the bottom after going over the end of the bridge. They ignored the warning signs. And here in this passage, God is giving us some warnings, very strong warnings. Take heed, take heed, beware of covetousness. And then the word beware carries the idea to guard, to stand the sentry, to be on the watch, to overlook things, not just go bebopping through life, but look at life, watch your life, be on guard against this, understand that it can, it can be a part of your life, and that covetousness is a uh, is a real danger. In fact, uh, the Bible says that covetousness is idolatry. It takes us away from having God first in our life. And so what's, what's interesting is that this, this uh, account of Jesus speaking to this multitude of people 
and uh, addressing some specifically, some words specifically to his disciples. But after hearing about uh, that nothing's hid from God and that uh, we ought not be afraid of natural death, but we ought to be afraid of he who can, who can destroy both body and soul and, and saying that God knows and he knows the hairs of your head and, and in verse 8, um, uh, who shall confess me before men? Him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. It's, a, it's a referring to salvation. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in the heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Speaking about eternal things and, and, uh, and the uh, need to be born again and all these heavy things. But when Jesus ended... And, and I don't even know if he uh, had ended his, what he was having to say. This guy in the, in the crowd speaks up there in verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. That word speak is uh, imperative. It's a command. And so here this guy has heard all this message. And he commands, he's commanding Jesus Christ to go speak to his brother because he's worried about whether he's going to get all that he deserves. And how typical of you and I sometimes. We're more concerned about our property, our goodies, getting what we can, than our relationship with the Lord. And so he's saying, saying both to his disciples and to the great congregation that was so crowded that they were walking on each other, he's saying you better watch what you're longing for in your heart. Because covetousness is idolatry. And he's warning, he's, he's, he's giving a real specific warning here and a command for us to, to be on lookout, watch our heart, what takes prominence in our heart, because in the end, if we don't, it's destructive. If you're saved, it may not, it's not going to, you're not going to lose your salvation. But you can have all these things and lose your life. It's more about relationships than it is about goods that you have. And uh, these words are not given to make him more magnified, to get us to a place of greater appreciation though we ought to do that. But God is glorious whether we glorify him or not. But the need here is for, for you and I to understand where real life is at. And so he commands then for us to uh, take a look at our life. And uh, He's going to bring out some points. Um, the first thing I'd have you to see here is that uh, let's see how should I word this? We have a choice in. What we invest in. Look at verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. 
And he said, this is what I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? And so he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's talking about the matter of where we invest our life. And we'll talk a little bit more here lately on this, but uh, there has to be some place in our understanding that we can work and provide for our families and even in some cases amass wealth without that becoming idolatry. And he tells us in Colossians, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. I can tell you uh, a number of occasions where I've seen prominent men within local churches who uh, sometimes after a retirement age, sometimes before, but their drive to keep up with the Joneses, their drive to accumulate goods, has stolen their hearts. God's not speaking against, in, against uh, managing wealth. But he is speaking against wealth managing us. And uh, he's warning here that there's a fine line between those things. And he says there that we need to beware of covetousness. Because uh, man's life, it consists not in the things which he possesses. I think of my brother, uh, I just received a picture of, it had on, on his wall uh, the, the bear he shot up here and the caribou that he shot up here and, and the moose that he shot up here. And those are all trophies that he had on his wall. And I can't condemn that because I like to do that myself. But you know what? In 50 years, nobody's going to care where those come from. They don't care. And you need to maintain that focus. And he says in chapter 6 of Matthew, I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He's talking about a lily. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall not he much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? And that word take thought doesn't mean that we just don't think about it. It was an old King James word. It means don't be worrying about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or where you'll be clothed. For all these things that the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so he's, uh, he's, he's talking about what are we going to invest in? Where are we going to put our attention? What's, what's going to be, uh, he, he says, seek ye first. What, what, what is first? in our life, what takes the prominence. Now, the second thing he's going to say here is that if we're going to solve problems with money, uh, money problems 
covetousness, or let's just say uh, money, which can be things too. Money problems are 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 solved by um, by trusting by trusting in God. Now look look at look down in uh, verse twenty two through twenty eight here. And he said unto the disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought, that is, don't be worrying for your life, what you shall eat, neither for your body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. And so he's asking us to not be worrying about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. Now, some people would take that and they translate that and they say that we should just live a recluse-like life that, you know, I'm trusting God to provide and, and there's no responsibility or accountability upon us. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible encourages us to be uh, financially accountable. If you go over to Proverbs, and so in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 23, he says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. And so he's going into an agricultural situation, but he says, You know, take care of how your income's coming in. Take care of your flocks. If you are dirt, had a dirt moving business, take care of your machinery. You know, uh, God has allowed you to have this. And he's saying, be diligent. He's not talking about going off half-cocked or just saying, well, God will provide. The idea that, you know, you're going to, like a, like he provides for the birds, and he's going to go on and say here about the ravens, and we'll talk about that. But, uh, but well, let me maybe talk about it now. The raven... Even here in cold Alaska, they're really fun to watch. Those, those dudes are pretty smart. But uh, they're always alive. But let me tell you something else. They're always hunting. They're out there working at it. They're looking, they're looking for food. And I've never seen a raven sitting on a tree with his mouth open, looking up into heaven and saying, well... God will drop something pretty soon. I'm, I'm just waiting on God to provide. Well, God provides by you using your natural instincts. <laughs> you know, get out and hustle. And so here in verses 23 and 24, he says, for riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. And so uh, he's saying, take care of what you got. Now, look back in chapter 6. When he says, take no thought, I'm simply saying that that doesn't mean that you're not accountable. In chapter 6, in verse 6, the proverb that surely you've heard a number of times. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gareth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. That's a, 
That's a Baptist on Sunday morning worship. <laughs> so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and I want as an armed man. Poverty comes by people sitting on their butt. It's so interesting to be involved in the food distribution with the Fairbanks Food Bank. I would say that, of course, this is being judgmental, and I probably shouldn't be so judgmental, but I would say that <coughs> maybe 5% of the mo at the most, <coughs> the people who come are uh, really needy. I had someone come for food on Friday. She listed herself and her husband and three grown children. And when she got her food, she looked, looked at somebody else's order and she saw that they got more food than she got. And uh, I have no control. Different people pack the boxes at food banks so they can be different. But she was complaining <laughs> about free food that she had gotten. And I almost wanted to say to her, and the Lord help me, <laughs> But I said, well, maybe it's because you've listed three adult children who could be out working and bringing in some money. Well, we ought to look at the example of the ant. And so I'm saying when he says take no thought, he's not saying here that we just go about life haphazard, but we see what's in the future. We plan for that. God's not, a, God's not against storing up like the ant stores up for, for a day when it's needed. But he is against, and I'll say, say it maybe a different way, but he is against your goods being your attention, your foremost drive. And as you observe the ants, when I observe the ants, when I see one that's not moving, he's dead. Now, Jesus is going to go on and give four reasons why we shouldn't let things and money dominate us. First of all, that, and he's already said this, life is not in things. Twenty-two and twenty-three, back in Luke chapter twelve. Luke chapter 12 and verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or neither for your body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. If our souls are in the right position, with God, then uh, we can trust in the Lord. But we don't trust in our wits. We don't trust in our manipulating, but we trust in the Lord. And then we need to, secondly, we need to understand God takes care of ravens. Every time you see a raven, you ought to, it ought to stir in your mind this idea that God takes care of them, he'll take care of me. Now why the raven? We do know that the ravens from documentaries done on them, they're pretty smart dudes. 
I saw one where they would pick up a walnuts or um, some kind of nut from the nut, nut tree and they would set above a stoplight and they'd hold it in their mouth until the stoplight turned green and then they'd drop it. The cars would run over it and then when the red light come, they'd fly down there and pick up the meat from the nut. Well, they learned what to do. But the raven is a scavenger bird. It's a low life in the bird family. And he's saying, listen, if God takes care of the scavengers, if God takes care of the scavenger birds, not the peacock or the parrot or those that have beauty about them, I mean, the raven's just black and noisy. <laughs> if God takes care of them, he'll take care of you. And it's our focus. Our focus is upon the Lord and not upon our own uh, manipulating or intelligence. And so, as I read that, I thought, you know, God helped me to note the ravens and in times when I think myself in need and I'm getting all worked up about it and what I need to do, maybe I need to go get a second job. And, and I'm not saying the Lord couldn't be against that or for that, but particularly if you owe money and you can work two jobs, the Bible does say, it does say, owe no man anything. It does say that. And so, he's simply saying, one of the reasons you need to beware of covetousness, you need to understand, and fighting that, is that we're much more valuable than the birds. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. They're not even like the ant that stores up the food. And God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And then, third, the third reason we need to not worry about finances, worry does no good. The Bible doesn't teach, if, if I just worry enough, if I just lose enough sleep, then it'll all come out fine. Worry does not produce anything but poor health. In fact, this word worry, it's an interesting word. It's a, in the Greek, it's a merazu, merazu. Uh, the last part of the word means mind, and the first part of the word means divide. What does worry do? It's really merimino, I didn't, M-I-R-I-M-N-A-O, a Greek word, but worry divides the mind, tears the mind apart, the united front. I think this and then I think that, I think this and I think that, that worry doesn't do any good. We go down to the labor hall. And I don't even know if there's such a thing, but I think it used to be where you could go down and try to see if there's any job openings. And, and uh, here's a guy sitting and you ask him, what are you, what are you doing? 
Well, I'm just worrying about how I'm going to make it. Well, all that needs to be channeled into activity that produces. Don't worry. It's futile. And again, he says in verse 11, take no thought. In verse 22, take no thought. And 25 and 26. And he goes on and says here, which of you with taking thought or worrying can add to his stature one cubit? And uh, really, as you study that out, I think it, it has more of the meaning, because one cubit, a cubit is like 18 inches, and so that seems very unreasonable that you think, well, he would think more two inches or three inches. But it seems as though when he's talking here that the word stature has more to do with length of life and not to our height. If ye then be not able to do that which is least, why take your thought for the rest? And so worry, I sit at home and I worry, and uh, all it does is mess up my mind. <laughs> and I think one of the most unhealthy things a person can do is not work. We, th we talk about the Sabbath, uh, well, let's go back here. I think I've got some time here. But let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. And let's look at... Uh, Sabbath command in verse 8. Exodus 20 and verse 8. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, and, it, and, it, and in it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, or thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, Sabbath day and hallowed it. And we need to know about a couple of things here. First, he's talking about the Sabbath day, taking a day of rest. And you need to understand this. The Lord said, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. The Lord is saying that for a man, it's healthy for a man not to work one day out of the week. And he's combining that for also a time of strictly worshiping the and so God understands that we need to recreate. <laughs> we need recreation. We need rest. But you notice there that a part of that that we often leave out is verse 9. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work. The part of the Sabbath laws is, is that you need to work that it's healthy to work, and it's healthy to rest. And so, he, uh, he is addressing the fact that uh, uh, not being covetous requires that uh, we work. Because I find this, 
we want to look at that. we want to look at this always in the aspect of guys who are working hard and they're buying their boats and they're buying their side by sides and they're whatever they're into. Maybe they're into other things and they're spending money and they're pouring their life into these things. Yes, that is wrong. But I think I can make an argument that the more covetous people in the world are the poor people. It's a matter of where we're directing our heart and what is number one. And so when we talk about worry, uh, it does no good. What, what does good is to labor. And then uh, the fourth reason Let's see, that God, what should I say here? God, um, God cares more. Look what it says in verse 27 of chapter 12 of Luke. Consider the lilies. How they grow. They toil not. They spin not. And yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, dry grass burned. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? That we need to understand that God cares. And he'll take care of us. He'll provide for us. He'll open doors to work. that we are to not go around having our minds divided by worry. Then he says, uh, in this matter of finances, don't act like the world. Don't act like the world. Verse 29. And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye doubtful mind. For all these things that the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. He says, don't be going around acting like lost people, but act like you have a great Father, our Father in art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And in that prayer, does it not say, give us this day our daily bread? He asks us to pray that way, to trust in him for our daily bread. Not necessarily worry about what I'm going to eat in 2024. But my daily bread. And when we, as his children... Go about worrying and fretting over material things. He simply says, Take heed, beware of covetousness. 
For your life is not a compilation of what you own. Life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. But life is in the Lord. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. And then we ought to trust him to take care of our basic needs. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, verse 31. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. That God knows. His kingdom. What is his kingdom? Well, seek you first the kingdom of God. Is that just heaven? Well, God's kingdom, in one sense, is where God rules. And we ought to seek to let him rule in our heart. It's not just talking about full-time Christian workers. It's not just having one slice of our life given to him on Sunday. But it's to have the core of our life seeking to follow him and let him rule in our heart. To really have the idea, Lord, what would you have me to do? What's on your agenda today and not on my agenda? And then he ends all this in a very wonderful way. We think about the things that we don't have, the things that we want. We don't focus upon the Lord at times. And in the end, he says, he says this. Because there's lots of, you know, there's lots of ups and downs in life. There's some curveballs were thrown, a motor being blown, a child having serious physical health and going to the hospital and you wonder, how are we ever going to afford this? People's houses being burnt down and the loss of everything. Life's not easy. So our focus ought to be upon him who provides. And then he comes down to this and he says, fear not, verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Listen, one of these days I'm going to go the way of six foot unless the Lord comes back. And when I'm absent from the body, I'm pleasant, present with the Lord. I've entered into his kingdom, at least the beginning portions of it. <laughs> uh, when the real kingdom comes and eternity arrives. How much thought in eternity Am I going to give to, let's say, I run out of wood in January? How much thought am I going to give in eternity that my Honda CRV dashboard, you know, where the speedometer is, looks like a Christmas tree? <laughs> it's got all kinds of colors on it. On it. How much thought are you going to give to that? Listen. I'm going to the kingdom. And I'm going to rule and reign with him. And he says that I'm going to be an heir 
and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. One of these days, I'm going to have it all. I'm going to share in it all. And what I'm sharing in hasn't been defiled. It's perfect. It will always be perfect. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And so I have an inheritance that's been set aside for me in heaven, reserved for me, and it goes on and says, who are kept, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. For so, Second uh, Peter says, For so an interest shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior. And Revelation 1, 6, And hath made us, his children, kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we come to the crisis point. The Lord doesn't suggest, but he commands. He commands it because it's good medicine for us. And he says, take heed. Pay attention. Beware. If there's a grizzly bear coming down the trail, I'm going to take heed and I'm going to beware. We ought to be on alert. We ought to alert because this world wants to captivate our hearts. And you see, it really is because Satan cannot take our salvation. We cannot lose our soul. And so what does he want us to do? He wants us to worship a different God. And covetousness is idolatry. All right? Very, very powerful commandment. You're dismissed.